I never knew how prevalent mouth sounds and mouth clicks were until like I started doing it at, at not the studio because my mic picks it up more. And now every podcast is ruined. Yeah. Yeah. You just start picturing mouths. It doesn't do good things for you. It's not great. Okay, so at, at uh, this great mouth discussion, uh, let's get it started. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our teeth collections and go head-to-head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert. I'm notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am safely behind the judges' table, letting others duke it out instead. Our contestants this week are Kristen DiMercurio and Jeffrey Craner. Today's mysteries are from Encyclopedia Brown. Kristen will be playing for the Black Trans Protesters Emergency Fund, and Jeffrey will be playing for Never Again Action. Now, without further ado, let's put the pedal to the metal and meet our guests. Kristen and Jeffrey, how's it going? Good, Mike. Hello. Hey, I, what's up? All things considered, things are doing all right in our little perspective podcasting from home situations. Yeah, as someone who recorded from home already, my life with COVID and everything happening didn't change much, which means I think I need to change my life. <laughs> yeah. I've kind of been the same place. Yeah, I've been recording so much from home. We've been recording Night Vale since 2012 from Cecil's home and writing it from our own homes. And so, um, yeah, a lot of that is kind of the same. The problem for me was that I used to do all of my recording at home. And then Multitude got a studio. And then like a year later, COVID happened. So I had it for just long enough to get very used to using the studio and being like, oh, I am beyond recording at home. We have professional <laughs> soundproofing equipment. And now it's like, I'm recording at home. I orient my microphone so I'm talking into my bed so that it dampens the noise. Our headboard is made out of soundproofing panels. <laughs> so it's fashionable and functional. Honestly, that's a great aesthetic. All credit goes to my wife, Kelly. I did not think of it. I just took home three old soundproofing panels from Brandon's old studio. And then she was like, we have to get rid of these. Can we make them into a headboard? Because we also needed a headboard. And now it works. Honestly, like every time I buy clothes, I'm like, no, no, no. This is for the soundproofing in my closet. It's not just because like I need new clothes. This is for work. It's a work expense. That's my new excuse as well, because I like to line dry my clothes because I like when they don't fade and get holes in them. (laughs) Weird. But because of that, it means we have like the line dryer thing in our room for a couple days while they naturally dry. (laughs) Kelly hates it. But I'm like, ah, extra sound dampening in the room. And this is my job. So (laughs) that she loves that. She hates it so much. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into some more Encyclopedia Brown. The people have spoken. People made a meddling adults subreddit without me saying so. And then someone made a poll that was like, what if the books has been the best? And everyone's like, Encyclopedia Brown by a mile. So we're going back to our favorite fifth grader. But they're the hardest. They're the (laughs) hardest ones. I think that's why people enjoyed the episodes. Do either of you have any sort of experience with Encyclopedia Brown, mystery novels, anything like that? Not a ton. I read some mystery novels. My mother-in-law writes mystery novels, so what? I've read her books. That's very cool. Agatha Christie? It's my <laughs> my mother-in-law Christie. is Agatha Christie, the ghost of <laughs> Agatha Christie. Yes, indeed. Uh, no, my mother-in-law, Leanne Sweeney, uh, writes cozy mysteries, and and uh, they're really fun. They're really great uh, paperback uh, beach reads for adults, right? <laughs> Rather than, <laughs> yeah, they're really great. They're a lot of fun. So that's kind of my experience with mysteries other than the occasional like Tana French or something like that. Mm. What about you, Kristen? Well, so I 
when you asked me to be on the show, I was like, this is a great idea because I'm terrible at riddles. <laughs> Many of my family members are like really into riddles and puzzles and that kind of thing. And while in theory, I think I'm really into them. I think I just am the most impatient person on like maybe the planet because I, I we get like maybe five minutes past the explanation of the riddle. And I'm like, all right, if I've got like the person giving me the riddle by the collar. I'm like, if you don't give me the answer in five seconds, <laughs> I swear to God. There's like multiple people that will attest to this, that I get extremely frustrated when I cannot figure the answer to something. So I will do my best to do some deep breathing <laughs> and not turn this into um, a different kind of podcast in which I just vent my rage. <laughs> it's an exercise in self-control. Exactly. You know, you need you need diff- hosts of different types for this show. And, here, and now you have your rageful host. Check that box off. Yeah, I loved episode five. That one woman got so mad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, is she okay? (laughs) (laughs) So here's how the game works. I will be recapping four quick mysteries from the esteemed children's novel, Encyclopedia Brown. Neither of you have read or seen these mysteries ahead of time. I will lay out all of the clues. I will ask for your accusations. And for each correct guess of culprit or method or motive, etc., I will be awarding points. But there's also bonus points if you have a particularly bonkers guess, if you make fun of each other and it's very funny, or if you have the same incorrect guess as me, I will give you a Misery Loves Company bonus point because I am usually wrong when I try to solve these mysteries. If we are tied at the end of these four rounds, we will break the tie in the only fitting way with a sudden death riddle. <laughs> so, now that all the rules have been laid out, I say we get into our very first mystery, which is the case of the ginger ale. Uh, just like such an anticlimactic name. <laughs> you read it in like a very, like it was gonna be, and then it was the case of the normal thing. <laughs> I will say that encyclopedia round titles alternate between very innocent and very intense, because in one of the mysteries I read, but didn't do for this episode, it was called the case of the murder man. That's a case. <laughs> I like how low stakes ginger ale is. It's really nice because it it takes the pressure off solving the mystery because I feel like just at the outset, you know, even if Encyclopedia himself fails to solve the mystery, it just really was somebody drank somebody else's ginger ale. That's what I'm hoping That's my guess here. Yeah. Well, I regret to inform you that this case is actually about the theft of a multi-million dollar violin. What? Oh, that's fine. (laughs) I don't like music, so that's okay. So, given that we are recording this on June 5th, 2020, I am just going to pretend that Encyclopedia Brown's father, who is the chief of police, does not exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Love that. Um, So it's just going to be Encyclopedia Brown and all of these. I will say that what does make me feel good about these books is that Encyclopedia Brown's father is the most incompetent police chief in fictional book history, maybe, uh, and an 11-year-old has to solve all of the crimes. So I'm just going to omit uh, Encyclopedia Brown's father from every story this episode. Great. Bye. So Encyclopedia Brown's mother asks, do you know anything about ginger ale? And Encyclopedia Brown says, it comes in a bottle and I don't like it as much as root beer. <laughs> oh my God. It can come in a can. <laughs> Which I think is an incorrect take. I feel like ginger ale is vastly superior. It's a terrible take. I mean, root beer <laughs> is fine. It's very good. But, like, it's very specific. Like, I want root beer with, like, maybe, like, a a burger. But, like, when I'm on a plane, like, I don't want a root beer. I want a ginger ale. Yeah. Yeah. Ginger ale calms the stomach, too. It's it's exactly. it's nice. Yeah. It's relieving. I also think the root beer is a very 11-year-old drink. It has beer in the name. Right. <laughs> and, and you can drink, drink ginger ale for your whole life. And it's, yeah, like, respectable. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> and then you get old enough and you learn that ginger beer exists. And you're like, whoa. Yeah. Where have you been all my life? Oh, you're more expensive than ginger ale. That's where you've been. (laughs) So 
Encyclopedia Brown's mother says that it's part of a case involving Rafino de Verona. And Encyclopedia Brown goes, the famous blind violinist? I Googled it. This person is fictional, unfortunately. <laughs> Jesus. Damn it. But with a name like that. Yeah, I know, Rafino de Verona. So apparently Rafino de Verona has a summer home on the beach in Idaville, Indiana? which I did look up on Google Maps and is an hour and a half away from the nearest beach, which is just a Lake Michigan beach, which I grew up on the Jersey Shore. This does not feel like a beach. That's not a beach house. That's just a house. That's just a house. It's a glorified lake house. You can have a summer home that's just a summer home. I mean, if we eradicated all thoughts about what distance is, everything is a beachfront home. <laughs> I mean, if you if you loosen up your definition of just math <laughs> in general... Yeah, and like geography, physics. Yeah, Pangea's just a big island. That's true. His Pangea summer home. <laughs> yeah. Why is Australia the biggest island? Why not the Americas? That's a pretty huge island. I mean, Asia plus Europe is enormous as an island. <laughs> so apparently this violinist has been tricked out of his prized violin over a glass of ginger ale. So Encyclopedia Brown goes alone to this summer home and... Then Mr. De Verona explains that he lost the violin in a bet to Hans Braun, the concertmaster of the Glendon Symphony, also a fictional human being. So De Verona brings over a tray with three bottles of ginger ale, an ice bucket, and several glasses. He says that Clara, his maid, was off for the night, so it was only him and Hans in the house. They were talking about puzzles, because Hans loves locked room puzzles specifically, and soon enough, they were betting their Stradivarius violins against each other. Jesus. Okay. This is normal normal human behavior. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I do when I get together with my musician friends. Uh -huh. We just, like, bet our prized things over um, soda. Yeah. So I don't know if either of you are familiar enough with music or general fanciness to know what a Stradivarius violin is, but it's a violin made by this old school composer who's named Stradivarius. And I looked up how much these violins cost and I couldn't get an average price, but I did get that the highest one ever sold went for $16 million. Oh wow. yeah, same. And same, that same. one is currently valued at $46 million, but is not for sale. Has anybody ever played it? I have no idea. I am so confused by this. Does it just sound better? $46 million better? <laughs> is it one of these ones kind of like 80s hair metal bands where it has like two necks on it, like coming <laughs> yeah. out at different angles? Or like a neck at both ends, like a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. Does it have like a keyboard on it as well? <laughs> yeah, right. Is like Siri installed? Like uh -huh. what, what, what else we got in there? Yeah, it's definitely a smart violin. <laughs> oh my God, it's definitely just like a government tracking violin. It's actually listening to you. So what it actually is, I looked it up, is that apparently only a thousand were made. And then it said that there's only 828 that are still intact, I think. And then from those 828, only 200 something are accounted for. So it makes me think that there is a black market of... Stradivarius violins, and I really want a whodunit series specifically about the black market of multi-million dollar violins. Please. Oh my god, black market musicians would be a great band. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys, the episode's over. We're gonna go start a band. <laughs> Thank you for black market about. musicians! We're off to buy three Stradivarius violins first. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we get one that's got a double neck, we can split it. <laughs> So basically what happens is that Hans and Rufino are doing this bet, one violin against the other, winner take both violins, that Hans can lock something in the room and then change the situation without 
Rafino de Verona hearing him or noticing him, and he can do all of this in one hour, and if he's able to change this thing, he will get Rafino's violin. And if Rafino figures out how he did it or hears him in the act, he will get Hans's violin. Okay. Gotcha. So here is what takes place. Rafino drops four ice cubes into a glass and then explains to Encyclopedia Brown that Hans said, oh, this ice is cold, and he filled a glass with four pieces of ice just as I have done. Then Hans gave me the glass to hold. I heard him open a bottle of ginger ale. He left the room carrying it. I locked the door afterwards, making sure that Hans was out in the hall. Next, I locked the two windows so there was no way of getting into the living room without breaking the windows or the door. So he felt this glass from Hans and made sure that it was only filled with ice. Then he moved an oil painting and put the glass inside of a safe behind the oil painting, which is some great old rich man shit. Okay. We're in Rufino de Verona's house, right? His beach house in Idaville, Indiana. Yes. yes. Okay. This is his. This isn't um, Hans's house. No. Okay, so great. he can't do anything to preset and make the room fake. Okay, great. Gotcha. The bet was that I was to sit in a chair in the middle of the room. I was to stay seated exactly for one hour. In that hour, Hans was to enter the locked, lightless room, open the locked safe, take out the glass, remove the ice, pour into the glass the bottle of ginger ale that he had carried into the hall, lock the safe, leave the room, and lock the door behind him, all without me hearing him. Okay, so he's supposed to get ginger ale into that glass that only has ice cubes in it. Right, and it's in a locked safe. In a locked safe. Question, mm -hmm. is Hans an X-Man? <laughs> uh, they do not clarify. We can't rule it out, though there is no evidence that says he is. Okay. Can we change the definition of ginger ale so that we could potentially look at melted water in the glass and call it ginger ale? <laughs> That's right. That's I right. continue the story. Okay. Dave Verona can tell time by the raised numbers on his wristwatch and he kept talking to Hans while he was in the hall so that he could know that he never left. Can I call Hans out a little bit for, like, doing a bet that involves sneaking around a blind person? Yep, not a great look. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> I like to sit with it as we are playing to Dave Verona's heightened sense of hearing. Yes. And Hans is just challenging that, rather than Hans being like, I'm going to rob a man blind, literally. <laughs> right. <laughs> and not robbing him. He's putting ginger ale in the glass. True. He's anti-robbing him. Like Jesus Christ himself, I will turn <laughs> water into ginger ale mm -hmm. and then take his prized violin from him. Oh yeah, there's the robbing part. So the hour had passed. Dave Verona got the glass. He took a sip from it and it was filled with ginger ale. So Encyclopedia Brown asks, who brought up locked room puzzles first? And Rufino says Hans. So then Encyclopedia Brown knows for sure that Hans was up to something. He says, don't worry about it. No one could have heard the second clue. Then Encyclopedia Brown asks for the guy's autograph, and that's the end of the story. So how did Encyclopedia Brown know what happened and what Hans did to turn these ice cubes into ginger ale? Okay. So we he heard him open up the bottle of ginger ale. Were the ice cubes in the glass? He said they're cold, but he didn't feel that the cubes were water. Are they in frozen ginger ale? That is a potential guess. I was leaning towards the idea that they were frozen ginger ale as well. Because Hans was the one that put the ice cubes in the glass, right? Yes, he was. So my guess is that he froze ginger ale ahead of time, put frozen ginger ale in the glass, and then put it in, in the... And Dave Verona definitely put his fingers in there and felt that that was ice cubes and there wasn't already ginger ale in the glass. Yeah. Yes, that's okay. what he felt it. It was only ice cubes and it was not wet. Yeah, the only other thing I can think of that makes like that's not using mutant powers is something <laughs> along the lines of 
that there, he, but he would have smelled it. I was like that there was already ginger in the glass or <laughs> well, if something. It's frozen, is there? Can you smell ice? Does a popsicle have a smell? Maybe. He didn't smell it. All he did was touch it. Okay. Mm. All he did was touch. Yeah. Cause I was like, I, I, but I don't know. That's not how you make ginger ale is just like chopping up ginger and throwing it in some <laughs> seltzer. Oh, I see. It feels like the easiest answer, but I, I, it has to be something with the melted ice mm-hmm. was ginger ale. You are both correct. Yay. The ice Woo! cubes were ginger ale. So what raised in Sigley P.D. Brown's suspicion, and this is laid out in the solution, which is very fun, is that he says, oh, these ice cubes are cold. And in Sigley P.D. Brown thinks, what a silly thing to say. All ice cubes are cold. (laughs) (laughs) So clearly he must have been saying that to mask some other noise. And that other noise was him getting the pre-planned, pre-prepared ginger ale ice cubes from an insulated bag of sorts. Uh, And then Encyclopedia's line of saying, you could never hear the second clue, is that the second clue was ginger ale ice cubes melting, which doesn't make a sound. You can never hear the second, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. You guys both nailed it. Oh my God. That was also my guess. I was very surprised that I got that one as well, because I'm usually quite bad at these. But at the end of this first round, the score is tied three to three. See guys, I don't get angry if if I get it right. This is great. (laughs) I'm having a great time. (laughs) So the second case that we will be covering is the case of the frightened playboy. (laughs) Awesome. Aren't they all? So Mr. Mackey, a rich and paranoid playboy in town, calls Encyclopedia Brown at 7.30 in the morning. Oh no. Fearing for his life. Nope, nope, nope. You gotta turn off, you gotta set it to do not disturb is what you do. (laughs) Yeah, this is poor work boundaries. So Encyclopedia Brown goes to the door and when he arrives at Mr. Mackey's house, there's also a woman there, Molly Haggerty. How old is Encyclopedia Brown? He is 11 years old. There was another person in the story, but for reasons of the year 2020, he has been removed. Great, gotcha, gotcha. Basically, the two forms of Encyclopedia Brown mysteries, and they alternate in the book, is kid walks into Encyclopedia Brown's detective agency with some sort of crime. Usually Bugs Meanie stole my thing, please help me. He's such a meanie. And then the other thing is Encyclopedia Brown's father, whose profession will go unnamed, comes home and says, I'm terrible at my job. Please, 11-year-old son, help me solve this crime. But gotcha. who's like, here, child, come with me to the Playboy Mansion or wherever the hell we're going? Like, So Encyclopedia Brown's mother (laughs) (laughs) told him that it would be good if he went to this Playboy mansion of Mr. Mackey so that he could see how to not live his life because Mr. Mackey lets his money dictate all of his actions and he is paranoid because he thinks everyone is out to get him to take his money from him. So this is a learning experience for Encyclopedia Brown. Is a Playboy, I I mean, I understand like the magazine and I feel like that's sort of like anytime I hear the term, it brings that up. But like, is a Playboy just a kind of like a, an elite hedonist, like not hedonist, that's not right, just somebody who is just carefree with their money, like they're a jet setter plus a, are they also a womanizer? Are they- Or uh, maybe womanizing just goes along with the territory in most cases. Yeah. I would assume the definition is just like rich bachelor that spends a lot of money, Mm. like the Gatsby character, right? He feels like he could be a playboy. Because it does sound like something you'd say back then, like, oh, he's such a playboy. Like, you <laughs> right. know, like, and it's like, it has a different term now, like or a different meaning now than it used to. That's right. I used to play Tetris on my NES playboy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mr. Hefner just ruined a word for everybody. Yeah. It's just a Game Boy with a tux. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paint a little bow tie on it. Uh-huh. Like a tiny bow tie. <laughs> it's got a silk pajama material on the back of it. <laughs> Ooh, with explicit games Mm. that no one should buy. Okay, (laughs) moving on. 
So Molly Haggerty is the woman at the door. She says that she is there applying for the open maid position and that she rang the doorbell, but Mr. Mackey hasn't answered yet. Don't do it, Molly. (laughs) So Mr. Mackey comes to the door and he says, oh, sorry, Molly, I can't really talk about the position just yet. But as what I can only assume is him finding a way to test out if she's good at being a maid, asks her to fix him something to eat because he's starving. Either that or he is really just a rich asshole and woman is at my door. Hey, make me some food. I regularly ask strangers at my door for food. <laughs> it's like somebody comes to deliver like like an Amazon package and I'm like, oh, thank you so much. Also, can you make me something? I'm really hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Goes over very well. Yeah. Don't work on spec. And especially as a maid, don't work on spec. Yeah, exactly. So Mr. Mackey explains that he had to fire his old maid (laughs) because he caught her snooping. He can't trust anyone. He also explains that he lives alone. Okay. So Mr. Mackey is especially worried because he says that he was the sole eyewitness in a case that is currently on trial where three gunmen injured a gas station owner in an attempt to rob him, but they were stopped. Okay. He is afraid that the gunmen's friends will try to kill him. I'm assuming these gunmen are in the... Idaville Mafia? (laughs) So in order to stay safe, what Mr. Mackey has done is that he has become nocturnal, where basically he is sleeping during the day and only going out at night because he figures that if he is out when people are normally sleeping, the gunmen aren't going to come get him. I don't know that this is the best strategy. Oh my God, he's a vampire. (laughs) Also, wouldn't most gunmen want to operate at night or like murderers want to operate at night in the dark rather than... In the broad daylight? They said he was rich, not smart. I think it's a bad strategy either way. If you are sleeping during the day, they could just come to your house during the day and break in while you're asleep. Yeah. And then if you're out and about at night, they could just patrol around and try to find you. So I don't know what his thought process is here, but apparently it's working. I mean, as in that nothing has happened yet. Yet. (laughs) Does that mean it's working? Yeah, it's not not working. (laughs) So so he explains this to Encyclopedia Brown, saying that he wants some sort of protection until he goes on trial. And then he says that he just wants to eat this meal from Molly, the trial maid, and then go to bed. Because now that it's the morning, it's when he's going to go to sleep. So she comes in and has prepared a meal of soup, a sandwich, and a glass of iced tea and puts it down on a tray. Encyclopedia Brown says, no, don't eat that. And he goes, why? And Encyclopedia Brown explains that Molly has to be in on it. Now, how did Encyclopedia Brown know that Molly was in on the crime or the attempted crime, I guess? Okay, 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 okay. Do we know what the old maid was snooping for? Do we have any of that info? We do not, just that he caught her snooping and it was suspicious enough that he fired her. And there were three gunmen specifically. Mm -hmm. Do we know anything? thing about Molly and like what she was wearing or like they don't really explain anything further about it it's just that she seems normal and seems to be just applying for this open maid position he put an ad in the newspaper and she took him up on okay. it wait what time do they go over there shortly after the call at 7 30 in the 7:30 morning 7 in the morning so they're there right before he's going to bed mm-hmm. why did Mackie call Encyclopedia Brown over at 7th. Like, why was he already suspicious of Molly? It wasn't because of Molly. It was just that before he went to bed, he wanted to talk to Encyclopedia Brown and potentially 
Encyclopedia Brown's father, who sure. I'm just blanking on what his name and job title is. Mm-hmm. But I think he wanted to see if Encyclopedia Brown's father, maybe his coworkers, could keep mm. him safe until the trial. I see. But I don't know what a bunch of postmen would do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so during this time, Molly shows up and f- applies for this job. She is at the door when Encyclopedia Brown and his father, who is now canonically a postal worker. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When they yeah. show up to the door. Wait, so this ma- this makes sense though, because like if he is nocturnal, right, and he only is awake at, at night, and he's paranoid, he's probably going to be hiring a maid that will be working at night while he is awake, and he can see them, right? So wouldn't he have put that in the in the ad, being like looking for somebody specifically to work night shifts, and yet she comes at seven thirty in the morning for this interview? So wouldn't that be like a an indicator that she wasn't actually there to interview? She was there to get in. Okay. Okay. That could be a very solid guess. I will be mum about it until Jeffrey provides his guess. Do we know any of the names of, like, his former maid? Just previous maid. There has to be something to the idea, what Kirsten was saying, right, is that she's showing up so early in in the the morning. morning. Probably expecting him to be going to bed so that she can, like rob him or get back at him or whatever she was going to do. Right. I love the idea that there's this woman who's like undercover to like go in and like get back at this guy and like she's like a super badass and then she gets there and he's like, will you please make me soup, sandwich, and an iced tea? And she's like, all right, that'll work too. I'll just poison that. Like she's so adaptable. <laughs> do they describe outside of like what's what the food is, like what it looks like? Like was the soup just like kind of like a light gray color. Like, <laughs> Did it smell like uh, chemicals? It was served with a side of rat poison. Was there smoke coming off the sandwich? <laughs> the, the only thing that they say about the food is that Mr. Mackey explains to Molly, all of the ingredients needed to make me a meal are already in the kitchen. Huh. So it is just the assumption that he's got a bunch of food already in his kitchen. So I'm wondering if, unless it says otherwise, Maybe did it did uh, encyclopedia. I'm gonna call him Petey. <laughs> Petey. Did Petey see Molly go into the kitchen, or did he Petey himself go into the kitchen? Like, did she not use all of the ingredients? He saw Molly go in, and she came out. Okay, here's my guess. Petey knows this because she made him a breakfast sandwich, which she would not have done if she was using his ingredients, because this is his supper. And he would have had a more suppery sandwich. <laughs> okay. I love the idea you could go to like a bodega and get like a breakfast sandwich, but you could also get a supper sandwich. A su- yeah, that's what I always, that's it's what like I would turkey, always order. like I don't, I don't know what's in it. Yeah. I'm just picturing like a Thanksgiving dinner between two like pieces of bread. It's classic Bay Ridge, right? You just go to the bodega <laughs> and you're like, I, I, supper sandwich. Supper sandwich, please. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I will say, Jeffrey, you were almost... Correct. You just flipped it, but I'm going to give you two out of the three points normally because she gave him dinner. And the only reason she would know to give him dinner is if she knew that he was being nocturnal. Uh, She's there at 730 in the morning. If someone at 730 in the morning asked for food, you would have made them breakfast. So you were on the right track. You just forgot the whole nocturnal, what he should be eating kind of situation. Yeah, I was thinking that the ad would have specified I'm nocturnal, but of course it wouldn't have specified I'm nocturnal. Because then it would have given it away. Mm. My guess was no one can make soup that fast. (laughs) 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 So I thought that she had brought in some sort of soup that she could have poured poison into because 
I don't know, they never clarified what's in the kitchen, but just to come out with a bowl of soup was like, how the fuck did you, what? Unless he already had soup that he had like canned soup in the fridge. Right, I, I guess canned soup could have been the thing, but just to come in with soup, I was like, soup takes a long time. <laughs> Good soup does take a while, yeah. yeah. Here's my question about Mackie, is this that like, We've already questioned his nocturnal decision, right? Right. It's uh, like, clearly this man did not get his money through his intelligence. No. So it, no. it must be purely inherited. So this is a and real his money good... did not bring him intelligence either. Yeah, okay. This is a strong case for the estate tax. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also love the idea that it's like he's a he's very paranoid about everything. And, and then immediately he's like, stranger, make me food. <laughs> I won't watch. This man has never watched a movie in his life. And never. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to the third case, the case of the mysterious mugging. So Encyclopedia Brown's dad, the postal worker, comes home with a story about Mr. Clancy, the town plumber, who was beaten and robbed. And John Morgan, Mr. Clancy, the plumber's assistant, gave a testimony to Encyclopedia Brown's father, which is confusing seeing that Encyclopedia Brown's father, as we all know, is a postal worker. Mm -hmm. Encyclopedia Brown's dad reads the testimony, and here's the exact quote from the book. And this is from John Morgan, his assistant's perspective. Okay. Clancy was driving the truck, and I was sitting beside him. We had turned onto the dirt road near Benson Farm when the motor overheated. Clancy stopped, walked around to the front of the truck, and lifted up the hood. As he took off the radiator cap, a man jumped out of the woods, struck Clancy on the back of the head with a pipe, and Mr. Clancy fell over the radiator and slid down the front of the truck. I leaped out of the truck, but the man was already racing into the woods. He carried the pipe and Clancy's wallet in his hands, running away. I let him go in order to drive Mr. Clancy to the hospital right away. So that's the full testimony from John Morgan, Mr. Clancy's plumbing assistant. Encyclopedia Brown asks if Mr. Clancy had a lot of money in his wallet, and Encyclopedia Brown's dad said yes, he had $200 in his wallet because he had just finished work on a house. Now I used my trusty website, the United States Bureau of Labor and Statistics, to look at the inflation. $200 in 1965 is $1,627.87 today. What are they doing on that house? I, yeah, I'd be like, it gave them a bunch of money to do the plumbing. I don't know how much plumbing costs. It's a lot. That feels like a lot and a lot to give in one like flat Like if the payment. toilet exploded, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a bit. You'd be, have to be doing a lot of work. Like that's replacing some pipes right there. Maybe it's Mr. Mackey's home Mr. Mackey. and out of fear, he replaced every toilet. Oh, I, I, he probably just replaced the toilet paper roll for Mr. Mackey. He has no idea. <laughs> he has no idea how much that cost, yeah. And then he had to make him a sandwich for some reason? <laughs> yeah. But no one can make soup that fast. <laughs> so Encyclopedia Brown says, ah, he had to be. Now you should have no trouble finding the man who struck and robbed him. Encyclopedia Brown's dad is confused because at the woods is the railroad track, so he probably got on the nearest train to Georgia. Whoa. As you do. <laughs> and Encyclopedia Brown says, you will find the robber where John Morgan lives and the $200 besides because there is no robber. John Morgan made him up. John Morgan robbed Mr. Clancy by himself and then drove him to the hospital. So I turn to the two of you. How did Encyclopedia Brown know? Okay. So it has to do with the radiator. Right, because he unscrewed the radiator cap, but we don't know if he put it back on. There's also a thing, too, where if you've ever had a car overheat, if you take the radiator cap off, your whole front part of your body will be burned. Burned, because it's burned, like a steam burned. thing. Yeah, that's really dangerous. So, like, the idea that somebody would take a radiator cap off on an overheated car without waiting for a 
you know, quite a while before you do that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's already crazy. But I, I assume that really the, the big issue here is that the car overheated. How does he bring him to the hospital? How does he drive him to the hospital? That's yeah. that's my guess here. Well, then he also it says he fell over the radiator and slid down the truck. So if he'd fallen over the radiator on an overheating car, he would have been burned. Yeah. Like not just with steam, but just like touching an overheated radiator, right? Don't you have to use like a cloth or something if you're going to go near it? Yeah. I'm not well versed in cars, but I will say this was also my guess that the car overheated. How could you grab the radiator cap if the car was overheated? That feels very hot. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, the actual solution is much simpler. If the hood was up, how could this guy see the thing happening? Oh my he was God. still in the car. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Now I'm mad. <laughs> Uh, that doesn't seem very logical because you could <laughs> see somebody come out of the woods from the side of the car. Right. But then how would he have known that he slid down the radiator in the front of the truck? Like, it was very detailed what he saw. That's right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really thought I was onto it. I was like, oh, boom, I'm so smart. You can't grab the radiator cap. No way. But now it's just the hood was up. He couldn't see through the front windshield and he was in a truck. You wait, car Twitter's going to like attack this episode and be like, actually, you can grab the radiator cap if you use it. You know, like <laughs> yes, that's right. Any good plumber would have a proper set of heat resistant gloves yeah, exactly. in his truck. <laughs> hot plumbing. <laughs> so I will be awarding each of you a Misery Loves Company bonus point. That brings the score to six to four in favor of Jeffrey as we enter the final mystery. Yeah. Whoa. So we get into the final case, the case of the boy bullfighter. Okay. So Charlie Stewart, our favorite friend from Encyclopedia Brown, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes of Meddling Adults, we love Charlie Stewart because he owns the best tooth collection in all of Idaville. And that's his hobby, collecting teeth. Love it. <laughs> That's just Who's weird. Teeth? Are they people teeth or animal teeth? Animal teeth. How does he get them? He goes out into the woods and looks for them, and he walks in the woods barefoot because then if he steps on a tooth, he will be able to feel it, whereas if he was wearing shoes, he would not feel he it. He is a sociopath. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. you could step on so many things in the woods. How are you going to differentiate, like, a rock and a tooth? Also, you're going to get teeth lodged in your feet. We're all very concerned about Charlie. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, what kind of, like, crazy nerve endings does he have on the bottom of his feet that he can detect the difference between a tooth and a rock? I want to read the book of poetry that Charlie Stewart writes about finding teeth in the woods. That's what I want to read. I want to read the <laughs> gritty reboot of Encyclopedia Brown where he is solving serial killer mysteries. And the big reveal is that Charlie Stewart is actually behind it. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. He's like a gritty noir detective. Oh, my God. I would totally go to Charlie Stewart's show at the New Eurekan. That would be so good. <laughs> so Charlie Stewart enters the Brown Detective Agency. He's wearing bright red pants, and Encyclopedia makes fun of his pants, asking, who's chasing you, a lovesick fire engine? Which, I don't know. I don't know if wearing red pants was such a bold statement, but I own multiple pair of red pants, and I think Encyclopedia should cool his fucking jets. No kidding. Yeah, also, also, the implication that a fire engine has, like, mating rituals? I, yeah, I don't know. I... Insults back then were strange. Yeah, his metaphors are really off. Those are really, really weird. So Charlie asks Encyclopedia, how's your Spanish? And Encyclopedia says, awful. Even Spanish moss gives me trouble. What's the problem? <laughs> this kid knows everything and he can't speak Spanish? That's what's very strange to like, me. Like, I can low-key speak Spanish and I'm a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> so Charlie reveals that his tooth collection was stolen and he got bit by something fierce. He turns around, shows his rear end, and the seat of his pants is missing. <laughs> this is getting so weird. Wait, did, 
did he not think to change clothes? Like, just bring bring the torn pants with you. He came directly to the man who could help him. <laughs> okay. Encyclopedia Brown, he could waste no time changing his pants. That's a shady way to ask your friend to look at your ass. <laughs> I know, right? Just, like, ask. Just ask. <laughs> so, Charlie explains what happened. He asks Encyclopedia Brown if he knows Miguel Sebastian, a boy in town. Encyclopedia Brown says yes. Immediately I'm suspicious because this man has two first names. I never trust someone with two first names. (laughs) Miguel apparently is putting on a show in his backyard. They don't explain the show at first, but Charlie went over early to see if rather than pay the 10 cent admission that Miguel is charging, Charlie wanted to see if he could give him a gopher tooth as a barter for admission to Miguel's show. That's um fair. That's worth more than 10 cents. Yeah. So Encyclopedia Brown asks what Miguel said. And Charlie says, I don't know. He said something in Spanish. And then all of the sudden, a dog was biting my butt. <laughs> okay. So this is Miguel's dog. While it is biting his butt, Miguel takes the tooth collection, which is in a cookie jar. He takes it out of Charlie's hands to keep it safe from breaking and then helps the dog stop biting Charlie's butt. Right. So Encyclopedia Brown feels like something is fishy. He gets a replacement pair of pants for Charlie to wear, which is good thinking on Mm -hmm. Encyclopedia Mm -hmm. Brown's part. And then they decide to go to Miguel's to see this show so that Encyclopedia Brown can investigate further. Now, something that the book never clarifies is how Miguel went from, here, let me take this jar so it doesn't break, to Charlie leaves and doesn't get his jar back. They never explain this. I read this story multiple times. So... I don't know if Charlie just ran away after the dog got off, but he is unsure of what happened after the exchange of Miguel taking his tooth jar away and then him leaving. And he believes that Miguel ordered the dog to do this so that he could steal the teeth from it. Gotcha, because he doesn't know what he said in Spanish before the dog bit him in the butt. Exactly. And he doesn't have his tooth collection anymore, and Miguel says he doesn't have it. Yeah, I'm assuming Charlie just ran away immediately after the dog stopped biting him, and then now they're coming back after the fact. Gotcha. So they go and they see Miguel's show. Miguel's show is a bullfighting show, but using his dog. What he has done is strapped steak knives onto the sides (gasps) of the dog's head to make makeshift horns. And then Miguel has a red blanket, and then he's doing the classic Toro Toro. Uh, what's I'm blanking on the name? Not a luchador, not a mariachi. Oh, torador or like a um, it's a is there a, a bullfighter? Yeah, yeah. Does it with the blanket a couple times. All of the girls in town are swooning over this. I mean, yeah, it's a dog with steak knives on its head. What's not to love? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So he then takes out a smaller red piece of fabric and Charlie and Encyclopedia Brown recognize that it's the seat of Charlie's pants. So it's now even more impressive because he has a smaller red cloth for the dog to charge at. Does the thing a couple times where he spins away. Everyone's very impressed. The show is over, and then Encyclopedia Brown goes up and confronts Miguel. Okay. Do you have any questions? Uh, <laughs> so many questions. So Encyclopedia Brown 
he goes up to Miguel, right? And he confronts him about, like, I think this is actually not good for the animals and it's unsafe for the other children. I um, That you have hope. steak knives on this dog's head. <laughs> also, how do you train a dog to run it red? Like, specifically. Yeah. Also, he probably apologizes for his friend being kind of like a psychopath and also sort of a racist for instantly assuming that the one Spanish-speaking kid in the story is guilty. Yeah. So I think that's what he comes to the conclusion. But um, I think Kristen's onto something with the dogs can't see yeah, red. Yeah, dogs can't see red. I don't think bulls can either, but I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so Encyclopedia Brown goes up to Miguel and he says, hey, I think that you ordered your dog to attack my friend Charlie. Miguel says, I gave no such order. My dog did attack Charlie, all right, but it is trained as a bull to go after anything red, like Charlie's pants. I pulled the dog off before Charlie was hurt. I wasn't even thanked. After he says this, Encyclopedia Brown immediately knows that he is guilty. So I turn to the two of you, Jeffrey and Kristen. How did Encyclopedia Brown know that Miguel was full of shit? Because dogs can't see red. Dogs can't see red. Mm, okay, you two are both correct. It's the dogs can't see red. Where now, did the teeth I was go? not as smart here. <laughs> I, <laughs> I did not... Remember the whole colorblind thing? I think I blocked it out of my brain because I'm colorblind. So I just tr tried to like not bring down my, my fellow colorblind compatriots. And I didn't want that to be the answer to the riddle of sorts. What my guess was, was that when they actually do the show, he never said anything in Spanish. He just starts attacking Miguel and his blanket, mm -hmm. but when the dog attacked Charlie, Charlie notes specifically that Miguel said something in Spanish first. Mm -hmm. So I just thought, because he didn't say something in Spanish during the show, the dog is gonna do this on its own, so it's not normally going to attack not Miguel. So him saying something made it intentional. When I read this, I closed the book. <laughs> and put it down and turned my head to the ceiling and went, no! <laughs> it was so easy! <laughs> but alas, I totally, totally forgot that dogs are colorblind. I was kind of hoping it would be that the dog like didn't speak Spanish, because that's a thing that like if you train a dog in a certain language. I remember the first time that happened, it blew my mind. I was in France, and someone's like, come here, and the dog wouldn't come. And then someone said, like, come here in French, and the dog came. I was like, holy shit, that dog speaks French! <laughs> it blew my mind. <laughs> I've known people who've had, like, this was in Texas when people are much more caught up on this sort of thing. But, like, if you get guard dogs for your home, you can train them in, like, German or something. And it's the idea that you want yourself to be the only one speaking to that dog. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Uh, so, like, that somebody else couldn't command that dog. I don't know. I don't think that's how dogs work, though. I think if your stranger comes over and is like, sit. I've been around well-trained dogs and I've tried to get them to sit and they don't because I'm not dad. Yeah. I want to I want to call a, just this sort of the equivalent of like calling your you know calling your playground foul but I I I honestly did not think of color blindness until Kristen said it. I think I would have been like you Mike. I don't oh. think that would have come up. I just was agreeing okay. with what mm. she said. So to be fair I didn't actually think of it. It could be a teamwork situation. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Kristen under normal circumstances would have one seven to six, but I'm giving you a that's incredibly honest yeah. bonus point, which oh. now makes the game tied. So we're going to a sudden death riddle. Honestly, <laughs> leads to I sudden death. I learned from Encyclopedia Brown: just pretend to be really good, and everyone will think you're great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
Okay, so here's how the sudden death riddle works. I'm going to read a riddle. Whenever you at any point know it, just say buzz to buzz in. Oh, and then I will pause in its family feud rules where you can give the guess. And then if you are wrong, the opponent gets the chance to guess. But this is just going to be one of your classic, basic, run-of-the-mill riddles. Okay. okay. You, like, you might know it before I even get a couple words in. So get ready to, like, buzz oh, in. Oh, God. Okay. My heart rate. All right, let's do this. <laughs> okay. You approach a fork in the road. There are two twin brothers, one of which always tells the truth and one of which always lies. One road leads to paradise, and one road leads to torture. How are you able to tell which road gets you to paradise? You can ask one question to each of the brothers. Same question to both. Buzz. Okay. So you can ask one question, and then both of them answer. Yes, okay, Kristen sorry. said buzz. Okay, so you yes. can go up to either one of them. It doesn't matter. You go up to one of them, and you say, would he, you say, would your brother tell me that this road leads to paradise. That is correct. Yes! Yeah, you basically do the, what would your brother say is paradise? And in that case, the truthful brother would point to torture because the lying brother would do that. Mm -hmm. And then the lying brother would also point to torture because he's lying about the fact brother that his would brother tell the would point to paradise. So they both point to one direction, you go in the other direction. That's how you know the riddle. And with that, Kristen wins this Yay! episode of Meddling Yay! Adults with a score of eight to seven. That was intense. Ooh. Oh, man. I love it. Kristen, you have won for the Black Trans Protesters Emergency Fund. How do you feel about this victory? I feel, I feel, I feel good. I like winning things. I should do this more often. <laughs> <laughs> you started off saying that you're terrible at mysteries, and look, you have prevailed. Wow, clearly, like, I need to work on my self-esteem or something. Or this is a fluke. <laughs> I'm going to go with self -esteem. Or you're just particularly very good at Encyclopedia Brown mysteries, which are all just tiny technicality bullshits. Mm. So maybe you're just really good at sussing out little tiny technicalities. I don't think I've ever heard bullshit used in the plural. Bullshits. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was also, you know, there was there was a good amount of discussion that happened back and forth. And let it be known that I actually only won like one of the rounds, right? Two, I don't remember. I'm not keeping, I have, hey. look at all my papers. Who cares? You won. won. And that's all that matters. So, Chris and congratulations. Jeffrey, you also fought valiantly. That was a very well-fought battle. This was a very fun episode. If people want to find the two of you doing stuff on the internet or in the podcast world, where can they do so? You can find me on Twitter at happierman. Uh, you can also uh, go to nightvalepresents.com. I have a bunch of podcasts that I work on and help produce. So check those out. Um, you can find me also on Twitter, where the podcasters live, at uh, kdemerk. That's K-D-I-M-E-R-C, where I post dumb jokes and uh, cold takes. You can also go to brimstonevalleymall.com, where you can listen to my comedy podcast about a bunch of demons that work at a shopping mall. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Nice. You can also hear both of these lovely guests being silly and fun on Potterless. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, Chris and Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining. Listeners, thank you for listening. And I will say that you both did very well, so I don't think that the people afoot would have gotten away with it, because we had some truly competent and well thought out meddling adults. Yay! Oh God, I love it. <laughs> we each need catchphrases. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, thanks for listening to Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. It's co-produced by Multitude. The music is by Bettina Campomanes. The art is by Mayan Atias, and the web design is by me and Kelly Schubert. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can. It's at Meddling Adults on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On Twitter, I've been doing weekly polls where I ask people how they scored in the episode, so you can test your score against the rest of the audience. Spoiler alert, most people are pretty bad, so you shouldn't feel bad about your performance. If you want to learn more about the show, you can go to meddlingadults.com. And if you want to contribute to the charity prize pool, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash meddlingadults, where all of the proceeds will be going to charity. Thanks so much for listening, and hope to see you next week for our next episode.